gentle listener, and welcome to Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch. I am your host, Michael Lilienthal, and before I give anyone else a chance to speak, I am going to submit a prophecy to you. I prophesy that I will be visited by a guest whose name will be Ethan Bartlett, and we will talk about a book called The Fisherman by Chigozi Obioma. And I am also certain that I probably mispronounced that. Here's my guest, Ethan Bartlett. I was right. Hi, I'm <laughs> Nathan Barstool. I have oh, kid- no. kidnapped Ethan and put him in a closet. Uh, he's tied up with duct tape, obviously. Um, obviously. Because otherwise he You've could done... kick my butt, because like, Ethan can take most people. Um, mm-hmm. But I did yeah, surprise no him and him story. in a in a closet <laughs> i am very credible uh which is what credible people say uh especially credible people named nathan barstool well and i have well, i have barstool. come uh, to this podcast to discuss the book the the goats mm. uh by someone else who's not Chigozi Obioma. No, I'm just kidding. That's all a lie. I just wanted Michael to be wrong. The lengths that you'll go to just to make me wrong. I mean, so really shouldn't even be a surprise at this point. No, I, I'm not surprised. Just, you know, just commenting on it. Just comment, just <laughs> holding just... it up before the jury. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I rest my case, and um, yeah, all of your oh. des- defense testimony is um, self-incriminating. So, well, take that. Most defense testimony is. It's true. It's uh, true. That's why you should always plead the fifth. Yeah. If you say nothing, you will never go to jail. Exactly, and everyone knows. Like, would you even be defending yourself if you weren't guilty? Right. Right? Only guilty people try to defend themselves. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so now that we've proven our bona fides as legal scholars... Uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. And you can take everything we say as official legal advice. Um, and also, Michael, <laughs> everything Michael says as prophecy. I have true. Not, I have not obtained the uh, uh, heights of being a prophet myself, but... Mm-hmm. That just means that it's... you don't have to stone me if I get anything wrong. It's true. It's true. So, um, yeah, you, uh, yeah, you didn't think about that. Covered you, your Michael? own butt there. Um, yeah, and uh, and therefore expose mine. Yeah, which is pretty inappropriate, like for a you know family-rated podcast like ours. Yep. You've, uh, um speaking of families let's uh drink some scotch here <laughs> an activity all families should always do together yep <laughs> all families <laughs> <laughs> the family that drinks scotch together has a lot of scotch together um that's, yep that's what that's uh <laughs> that's the saying <laughs> we are drinking ethan uh the ben oh, Riach, no. the 12 oh, okay, space eyed single malt scotch whiskey I thought Free you were cask matured. saying that we were drinking Ethan. Oh yeah, that too. Oh well. Okay. Um, I like uh, for my uh, drinking vessel. I like to use the skull of my enemies, and um, by 
making that exposure, the aforementioned exposure, or the rear-mentioned exposure, as the case may be. Wow. Um, wow. <laughs> you have made yourself my enemy, and therefore, um, I'll take your skull now. I mean, the only surprising thing in any of those sentences was the implication that I wasn't already your enemy a long time ago. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh, yeah, so while we drink this uh, Ben Riach, and um, before we get into discussion of the book itself, Ethan, would you uh, call your wife in here to read us the rules? Yes. Hey, wife. Rule one. Once the scotch is poured and the glasses clink, the scotch must not be mentioned at any time. If anyone mentions it, they lose. Rule two. No one's mother should be mentioned in any pejorative sense or any other sense not directly indicated by the text of the book being discussed. If any mothers are mentioned, the mentioner loses. Rule 3. Ethan must never say the phrase, first paragraph. If he does, he loses. Rule 4. Michael must never say the words, vampire, vampiric, or any derivative thereof. If he does, he loses. Rule 5. If anyone has to use the bathroom during an episode, he or she loses. However, this should not stop anyone from doing so because this podcast is anti-UTI. Rule number 6. The wives are entitled to one glass of scotch or some equivalent beverage. Rule number 7. If four scotch-centric episodes pass with no losses, then everyone loses. And what happens if someone breaks the rules? If one person breaks a rule, they receive a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt chosen by the person who did not break the rule. All that being said, everyone, drink responsibly. Yeah, Ethan. Yeah, Michael. Gentle, Gentle listener. Thanks. I appreciate you. Thank, Thank you very much. Um, I'm going to go make a delivery Excellent. so that I keep the rules. I caught her in her words. Not folding laundry. So does she even deserve that glass? I, you know, <laughs> that doesn't seem, because I'm very afraid of Sarah, so that doesn't seem like a question <laughs> that I wish to answer at this time. That whole thing we were just saying about not incriminating ourselves. That's, yeah, following the legal advice that we provide on this podcast. Um... Michael is the only one on this podcast who provides legal advice, so if you follow it and it's bad, uh, I have now said this on the record, so like, no one can sue me. It would literally be illegal. I got that from Michael, record, The record that is currently being carved by the uh, uh, needle that uh, is picking up our sound waves as we speak. Oh, I see. so you finally decided to like try to one up me on the whole cassette tape thing by going a, an era of technology back further. 
I mean, I, I didn't say it was wax, but I could. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I assume that's where I'm supposed to go next. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then um, pretty soon we'll get to ancient microchips that uh, are really what the hieroglyphics are made of. Wow, I haven't heard that one. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going I'm to so, steal that one. Very good. It's very stealable. Well, even Lachaim. Slancha. So yes, as uh, as I mentioned, I'm prophesied, and uh, look, I'm correct again. We will be discussing the book *The Fisherman* by Chigozi Obioma. Uh, again, I apologize for any mispronunciations. Now, I have heard but... um, uh, Obioma in an interview. Oh, okay. Where his name was pronounced multiple times, and I think that is roughly correct. Hey, look at that. Um, See, I'm an excellent prophet. But I might be wrong, and now I kind of hope I am. <laughs> because if you're wrong, then I'm wrong. Exactly. And Take me down with you. Yeah, you know, obviously all all, uh, all I care about is that you go down. I don't care if I, you know, get swept along in the fume. I don't know what, I don't know what this metaphor is. I think that metaphor kind of got away from you there. It started away from me and it only got further away. <laughs> That's fair. Um, yeah, metaphors will do that. They frequently take on a mind of their own and uh, wander. Are you, pleased? Are you pleased with yourself right now? Yeah. Okay. Well. I'm so pleased. Um, yes. So this this is a book from 2015. Yes. So you've definitely had seven years to read it, gentle listener. But I'm going to give you another chance, right now, uh, to avoid any spoilers. If you want, you can pause your podcast and come back after you finish reading the book, assuming you haven't already read the book, or assuming you care about spoilers. Wow. Go. You... Pause. <laughs> Do it. Read the book. And now I'm going to assume that you're back after having uh, yeah, and since, paused and read. Since <laughs> you guys paused the podcast uh, uh, long enough to read this entire book cover to cover, um, you may have right. forgotten that Michael deployed a sentence to lead into that pause. That didn't even have a <laughs> metaphor in it, and it still managed to get away from him. It did. I don't even know what happened. So as um, as energy at the beginning of a session of recording goes, like ours is ours is pretty much perfect right now. I think this this is very good. This is great. This will be a coherent <laughs> pair of episodes with much insight and and stuff. Also, also stuff. And also stuff. Yes. <laughs> Okay. So anyway, Michael, now that I have publicly humiliated, shamed, and dragged your name through mud, uh, yeah, I, I'm giving uh, you back the reins. Well, what else is new? <laughs> um, okay, so when looking at this book, uh, I I, I want to turn to the back blurb 
uh, of the paperback edition sure. uh, that I think we both I have. Think, yeah, I think we have the same um, edition. Which begins just the the opening clause uh, of the little blurb says, The fisherman tells the Cain and Abel-esque story of an unforgettable Nigerian childhood, etc., etc. Um, so, starting off with this idea of Cain and Abel-esque. Yes. We that that tells you a lot right off the bat. Or it spoilers it should. are already there theoretically. Yeah. Um but also it kind of sets the tone for this to be a book that contains much um biblical allusion. Uh I'm thinking in terms of like East of Eden by John Steinbeck. Sure. Uh which also is Cain and Abel-esque and also contains much biblical allusion. Uh, and then you get the title of the book being The Fisherman. Right. Uh, <laughs> and I, I, I don't know. It sets up a tone that I'm curious about. Now, I think this is a valid question, and uh, I don't want to get yes. too far away from it for too long at all. Um, but I do sure. want to get out in front of what may be an obvious piece of, of criticism that I um, I could see receiving. Uh, just by asking mm. the question, do you think it is fair to judge a book by its cover blurb? <laughs> and that's, um, that's part of this whole question. Sure. How valid is that? Okay, yeah. Um, and... I, I think there's definitely some overtness to it. If we if we look at the 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 big horrible bad thing that happens right. halfway through the novel, right. um, it that's there. There's a Cain and Abel moment, right? Um, but is it a Cain and Abel esque story? That's those are two different things, right? Um, you know, I I did like I read that back cover blurb uh you know when i just was looking at this book in the bookstore um and it, it you know you're absolutely right obviously it does set a certain expectation a certain tone um mm -hmm. i had by the time that we got to that uh that central event um i had mm -hmm. completely forgotten that the back cover said that specific thing um, however, like, I don't know, Michael, I don't know if you noticed this, but there are, mm, like, mm -hmm. a lot of biblical allusions in this story. What? But, like, I don't know, and, and frankly, you probably caught a lot more of them than I did. I don't know that Cain and Abel is, is it, is it directly alluded to? It doesn't seem like it's, like... If it is directly alluded to, it doesn't seem like it's used in sort of a centerpiece kind of way. Sure. And that's a that's a fair fair question. Um I don't know if it is actually directly alluded to either. Um the fact that I don't remember it is probably kind of telling. For sure. Especially both of us. Tells me that probably it's not. Yeah. yeah. Um Be yeah. I mean, you know, the but that said, the like biblical illusions start early. Obviously the title is very is uh very much there. But 
page 12 in our edition, which is, you know, a few pages into chapter one, mm -hmm. um, contains, uh, -huh. uh Ikenna says, says to <laughs> his younger brothers, follow us and we will make you fishermen. And then the narration continues yep. and we followed. Like that's, you know, not that this would yes. be, not be a painstaking way to do it, but you could have probably copied and pasted that those sentences or clauses from an edition of the bible and put them at like right. it's so direct right well and even having that phrase at the end and we followed exactly. like that's very very much from the gospels you know jesus said to them follow me and i'll make you fishers of men and they right. did you know or when he calls matthew uh he says come and follow me and he followed right. it says that like just yeah that immediacy of yep we're this this decision was made and um it, it yeah so those those sorts of things are all over the place yes um in here and but but the thing about it is it defies allegory yes absolutely also like so from that phrase there on page 12 you would think okay Ikenna is the Christ right, figure which, uh, of this Jesus parable. I will, I will. But no, he's not. No. And I will fully admit that, like, you know, I was having a little bit of trouble with, uh, as I often do um, with the first 50 pages or so of a book with, especially one with a lot of characters, I was having a little trouble following all of the names and making sure I knew oh, who sure. was who, mm -hmm. but... For the, you know, while I was trying to chart that out, I did, like, mentally underline his name and say, okay, Ikenna Jesus. Ikenna's the Jesus figure. And tried to follow right. that through mm -hmm. and see if I could make it work. But I abandoned it at a certain point because it was like, okay, no, this is yep. not. The expectations that you'd set if this is a Jesus, you know, figure, which is, you know, different from mm -hmm. him being a literal literally jesus or a, even a literal messiah figure you know there's there's christ and there's right. a christ figure and they're two mm -hmm. related obviously but different things um but no none of that was working so i definitely abandoned it at some point excuse me yes uh and i did as well i, I mentally did the same thing i don't think i ever really put it in the margin that like okay jesus figure right whatever judas figure you know all those different things but like i was thinking in those terms yeah. um <clears throat> once you get to the big horrible moment um in the in the book um i think it's page 142 143 yeah. um which like that's the conclusion of this but it stretches on for 10 pages something yeah. like that um it's oh it's gruesome um but anyway so like once you get to that point and you see this prophecy so prophecy oh my gosh there are so many things that are tied into this um abulu's prophecy finally gets fulfilled here halfway through right. and it comes true um and that and ikenna is killed by his brother right. one of the men he called to be one of his fishermen, right. um, you know, so the, the ostensible Judas figure, right? Um, like that seems to round out the Christ figure idea right. there. Um, and 
the fact also that he knows this death is coming and he's prepared for it would also seem to almost round it out. But his attitude toward it, his attitude toward his brothers also is the polar opposite of a Christ figure. Um, Whereas, you know, Jesus was more sympathetic and loving toward Judas, his betrayer. Ikenna is embittered and raged at all of his brothers at the possibility of this prophecy coming right. true that one of his brothers is going to kill him. Um, so that's that's where it like it defies this allegory or it um, turns it on its head. And then so that's the first half of right. the book is about Ikenna preparing for and going to his death. And the last half is about the effect of that death. Right. And looking back, <clears throat> it becomes more about um, the brother Obembe, I think is the name. Yes. Um, who becomes obsessed with revenge uh, on Abulu, who made this prophecy. Right. Um. And by the end of the novel, the very last moments of it, which is an interesting thing that I, I want your thoughts on as well, um, when Benjamin gets out of jail and comes home, uh, his brother Obembe, who's been gone and missing, has returned and is received with um, this love and uh, um, joy um, almost like a messiah figure in a resurrection right, right? Um, so that that sort of figure is transposed from one brother to another and then what like it ends the timeline is all over the yeah. place in this as well um, and so then the actual end of the novel is before he goes to prison when he's making his defense testimony yeah um and his defense testimony ethan do you know what his defense testimony is? it's this novel <laughs> it's this <Yeah>. novel <laughs> um yes this this novel is his defense testimony except it's um i don't know i, I don't know I, th- I think it's a defense testimony with a bit of a twist um what do you mean by that it's not it, 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 he, because he's not trying to say we didn't or to I don't, I don't know because that 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 whole concept of the novel as defense testimony which we've talked about right. before um this seems too honest for that i don't know i mean i don't know you know defense testimony like can mean a lot of things um because you know defense testimony can be i didn't do the crime but it could also be okay i did the crime but i had a good reason and i've Mm -hmm. always thought when i think Mm -hmm. of novel as defense testimony it's really much more that second um idea that often comes to mind uh and, you know, the only place that, for me, that's problematized is, like, in a in a Nabokov novel or a Gene Wolfe novel where yeah. 
it may, if if you read it as a defense testimony, it is manipulative. It is a you know maybe one sure. trying to make you think that that uh you know that the person didn't do some things that they did. Um, but even even you know even in say despair, like the the narrator, hmm. as much as he is completely insane, does come across much more as like <laughs> okay yeah I did some terrible things, but like here's why you do it too. You know it's much more. Sure. It, it, it's defense in the sense of defending an action that was taken rather than in the sense of, uh, uh, you know, claiming not to have done an action. Um, sure. I, I guess. But I guess. What, what, I, what I'm. I, I, the, the twist. The, the, the twist I'm, I'm thinking about for this, this particular defense testimony is that he's testifying with this novel. Um, but with the attitude, I'm going to go to jail. Right. I'm going willingly to this punishment, which then transposes this Christ figureness onto yet yeah, another yeah. character. <laughs> um, yeah, it, which I mean, that almost makes it more of like a a gospel with a, sort of a small g. Right. Uh, this is this mm-hmm. is my not necessarily defense testimony, but my uh, um my uh proclamation, proclamation or even apologetic in the you know in the uh apologetic um, there you go in yeah. the academic sense i guess of apologetic or the old older sense mm-hmm. um right yeah which yeah so you're right that's that's an interesting that is an interesting uh twist on it i mean i think i was gonna say before that like i think you're right in the sense that like this is not the testimony your lawyer would tell you to give in court if you were trying to you know, be found right. not guilty or by, you know, even not guilty by means of like insanity or, or defense of others or self-defense or something mm-hmm. like that. Like this, you know, he fully admits that they premeditatedly murdered this insane person and, you know, right. Right. <laughs> the, the justification is completely understandable from the perspective of the characters, but I, it, it certainly does not read yeah. like a defense of like, why on a moral plane on an objective plane you know why this was necessary or why this Mm -hmm. was even good or you know defensible um like it's not it's just not defended i guess is is the main thing and Mm -hmm. um obioma in one of the uh uh blurbs i think on our yeah on um one of the uh uh kevin nance from usa today on the back of this book compares him to Cormac McCarthy. Um, and the, uh-huh. the comparison there is, I would say, pretty fair, you know. Uh, I, I don't want to interrogate it too much because it's more or less an aside. Yeah. But, um, you know, the I think the, the similarities are that, like, McCarthy's novels can often be very, very brutal in a similar way and very, like, shocking in their mm. brutality. Um, and also that they are also matter of fact often in their descriptions of of brutality. Um, mm. Now, if anyone, I don't, Michael, I don't know what what your experience with McCarthy is, but um, if anyone's okay, really I'm gonna say a lot of people's only experience with him is The Road, and while The Road, mm-hmm. I would argue, is a good novel, it's it's like very different from a lot of his other novels. Um, so I'm not necessarily thinking of the road, but of some of his other, like Blood Meridian, and and some of his other um, 
novels that take place sort of out west. Uh, but the interesting thing about those novels is that, as I recall, just I have not read all of them, um, all of the ones he's written, even in that sort of Western mode, uh, you know, American Western mode, but mm-hmm. of the ones I've read, I'm pretty sure that all of them are in third person. And it makes a mm. lot more sense in a way for a third person narrator to describe brutality in this in in this sort of yeah way whereas a first person narrator often the i feel like the impulse is much more towards um uh you know a, a self-defense a, an attempt at sympathy like yep. even you know where the author doesn't necessarily want you to sympathize with them like in lolita or in despair mm-hmm. like the the first person narrator themselves is often trying to garner sympathy whether it's you know in sort of a an authentic way or a manipulative or, way but or or even you know a self self defense like uh, i need to put up some sort of mental block to this traumatic yes, experience absolutely. right um but yeah this this one does not do that and this is from the perspective of a child right, right? um and and that ties into something that you you mentioned too that that is tied in with the end of this book and how it's out of chronological order yes. uh, as well. And by the end of the the novel, like he reveals that this is the defense testimony that he had right. on the stand. But it also goes beyond that. Um, it go and has within the novel itself it being framed by the defense testimony. Um, and so there, there are a couple of ideas behind that, but I, I want to tie it to what you said about this book basically turning into kind of mm-hmm. a gospel. Um, if if it were framed like a book of the Bible in that way, uh, the one I'm thinking of particularly is like Deuteronomy. Okay. Um, so authored by Moses, but it also includes at, in its final chapter right. the death of Moses. So did Moses write about his own death in a prophetic fashion? Um, is one side of it, or did Joshua write the last chapter to it? Um, so the, there's a, kind of the, the options that you're left with. So like with this too, did Benjamin include, and this is going to happen in a prophecy for his trial in the defense testimony, oh. <laughs> or the more mundane, um, probably more reasonable idea was most of this the yeah. defense testimony and then he added in the the last couple of chapters i after. think it probably um, but I, it conceptually just gets the same idea right it, I, and i think that ambiguity is probably in there intentionally and i honestly wouldn't be yeah super surprised if it was a reference to that to that question from deuteronomy because like mm-hmm. you know it it, it 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 sort of seems like a you know more modernist higher critical kind of question but you know the you know oh this you know in in critics who like to sort of deconstruct the bible or whatever um Mm -hmm. you know the the kind of thing that they often would say is like well this deuteronomy either shows evidence of multiple authors or it self-contradicts literally because of that but like this is a question that has been debated for Mm -hmm. centuries like you know like the, the, the uh, medieval fathers or even the ancient church fathers 
didn't not realize that um you know yeah, right this, this <laughs> seeming contradiction was was in there um and yeah i like i think that you know sort of again so the similar like i don't know comparative or analogous to like that that sort of higher critical deconstructive approach would just be to say well obviously um benjamin's narration isn't literally a circle we're not in like a kafka-esque courtroom where the defendant is constantly <laughs> telling this looping story and no progress can ever be made um it's obviously <laughs> like okay he be he you know that that last sentence which is just a killer of a last sentence opened my eyes cleared my throat started yeah. all over again like you know obviously what he means is he told up to whenever the trial began or whatever that that last mm -hmm. like three three carat break in the in the uh you know end of the last chapter yeah. there so, you know he this is a 295 page novel and he as his defense testimony he tells up to 285 or something like that like but that said yeah to me the uh um the last line to me feels very Joycean. It feels like, uh, uh -huh, I Finnegan's had the same Wake, thought. you know, <laughs> uh, begins no. in the middle of a sentence, and then if you read this entire, how many of our hundred page tome, eight hundred page tome, or whatever, mm -hmm. um, the last sentence is the first half of the sentence that begins the book, so it's literally a circle. And this, you know, is not quite as stylistically sort of experimental or transgressive or whatever, but like it has a very similar feel in in making it cyclical and of course in a book that's concerned with you know prophecies gospels legends and you know just sort of stories mm -hmm. like the idea of a story cycle is you know very much sort of hovering over everything yeah. um and it it would feel in some ways it would feel maybe biblical um and to go even further mm. out on a limb, you know, I think probably if if there's like Nigerian folk stories that folk tales that mm -hmm. are being drawn from here, often those types of stories come in cycles. So it's you'll have stories that are kind yep. of nested in other stories, or you have to tell this story first and then pave the way for you know the next story. Um, I don't know anything about Nigerian folklore, and I know very little African folklore, so that could just be, you know. Uh, nothing but but it does feel very sort of engaged with even you know even a book that that has a lot of sort of poetry and and song echoing through it um yeah like all of all of that kind of makes it feel like maybe this is you know we are in some sort of cyclical thing um i'm not you know i'm definitely not trying to claim right. that this is a secret you know secret kafka or or you know Eugenian Esco <laughs> kind of thing where this is literally how he defends himself by constantly telling the story and not allowing the courtroom to proceed or anything like no. that but it certainly has some of the energy of that yeah um and also while we're here I do want to point out because uh I remembered this when I was glancing at the ending just you know a little bit ago because you were you were starting to ask about it um just how seamlessly you you go from Page 293, which is chronologically the end of the story, um, mm -hmm. just, just you know, on a linear timescale, seamlessly back into more or less the beginning, at least, of him telling the story. Not necessarily of the story itself, but 
but that you mm-hmm. you slide into this loop. And this might just be a craft comment, which like we could do an entire we, we could sure. do an entire episode about the craft of this book because you know it's it's masterful. Um, but uh, so we get you know this the scene at the top of two ninety three that that continues from you know the pages before of Obembe coming back. Um, we get the it's like the third from the last paragraph but it's the last long paragraph on the book on the page um mm-hmm. and uh he says for a moment i stood still as the swarm began to move towards me my heart leapt like a free bird at the thought that it was him my veritable veritable brother that had now appeared as real as he once was like an egret after my storm as he came towards me i remembered how in court on the final day of my judgment i'd seen what seemed like a vision of his return and like it's that seamlessly we're back mm-hmm. into the past and then the past is what ends the book. And like, I had to, I think I had to yep. reread those last couple, couple, three pages, like four or five times before I fully understood what even had mm-hmm. occurred as far as the time jump went. Like I, I just, it's so, it yeah. flows so well and it's so seamless that I, that I missed it. Um, on a first right. on a first read through and then you know i mean i understood i think on the second read through and then i had to just go back through a couple more times to marvel at it and you know cement like what obioma pulled off here kind of in my in my brain um mm-hmm. and i don't know yeah. i still don't necessarily think i fully understand everything there is to understand about the ending and it it seems no. very mysterious and i think I don't know if you asked this question or implied it. Um, I feel like you did about whether th- that chronological ending, whether that that Obembe coming back is that the vision he saw is that actually real? You know. Sure. That's not necessarily the question I asked, but it's it's a it, it ties into to another thought and observation that I had about this the the ending and really everything else involved. So going back to, you know, the idea of Deuteronomy um, and some higher critical analysis of that too, that much of that higher critical analysis will, from the outset, deny um, supernatural aspects, right? It can't have been um, prophetic. It can't have been these miracles and things like that. Um, We need a more modernist enlightened approach to that um and that therefore requires that this be crafted not by moses um let alone in its entirety let alone the the last chapter that records his death um but uh within the text itself, it speaks of miracles and direct revelations from God and prophecy and things like that. And so the same thing is going on with this book because is this all his defense testimony? Um, doesn't really matter, but it, it gets, a, again, that same flavor across because even within the text, it's got that question of um, prophecy and whether it's real, uh, whether the supernatural is real and the vision that he receives at the end here too, you know, is that real? Um, the, the whole point of Abulu, uh, which you, you 
joked earlier on, you know, if if a prophecy isn't true, then the prophet has to be stoned. Um, and Abulu's prophecies are pretty much yeah. all true. They all come true. And he, that's why, really, the right. town lets him live, because his prophecies are true. They, they're not killing him because he has true prophecy. Um, even though that's not explicitly I mean, the reason, it's... It's, it's basically the, 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 the truth of his prophecies is the reason that he's feared, and the fear is yeah. is explicitly named yes. as um, the reason. But yeah, you're absolutely right. If uh, um, if he didn't make true prophecies, then uh, uh, he certainly would have a very mm-hmm. different status, and he would certainly be more vulnerable. And you know, probably someone like that is is excuse me, very vulnerable to either being killed in some way or or at least taken off to, yeah. you know, prison or something just with any mm-hmm. number of the, the antics that he pulls. Right. Um, I think it is in Deuteronomy, actually, that that passage is there. Like, this is how you'll know a true prophet. If he prophesies and his word comes right. true, he's a true prophet. Um, and so by that metric, Abul right. is a true prophet. Um, uh, but I mean, the question is still there. Like, can we find rational explanations for all of his prophecies? Like even the whole first half when Ikenna is anticipating his own murder by one of his brothers, um, it like, and his behavior and all of this, well, is it prophecy or is it just puberty? (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, um, and then uh, Obembe too takes the blame for it uh, later in the in the last half of the book, saying if I hadn't said his prophecy out loud um, after that plane went overhead and nobody else heard it, if I hadn't said it, right. nothing would have happened. But um, so that that idea of this self fulfilling prophecy uh, yes. ties in as well. If if everyone expects that this is how it's going to go, well then we're going to make it happen. You know, one of the uh, broad probably pretty obvious questions being asked within this particular story within this you know sort of iteration of a uh probably be too strong to call this book a reaction to deuteronomy but you know for for the for the sake of argument (laughs) i could i could call it that um sure one of the obvious questions is what makes a true prophet and what makes a true prophecy and mm-hmm. the idea, it, it's that self-fulfilling idea of does, you know, maybe the effect, the cause and effect aren't what we think they are. And maybe speaking a prophecy into existence and having that element of belief in it, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that makes it come true rather than the other way around. Um, and, you know, right. and I think that that it seems to me like a pretty clear easy reading that wouldn't necessarily be wrong um of this book to say like mm. it was the prophecy itself that drove Ikenna mad and and made all of this happen mm-hmm. so that um i get you know i guess that ends up being a a self-fulfilling thing but where where the prophet you know by right. the power of his prophecy like creates this this reality but you know that that whole set of ideas is very much bordering on another yet another concept that's very biblical um the idea of the creative power of mm-hmm. words or the creative power of the word 
right um, you know god <laughs> speaks the speaks the universe into existence in genesis and um you know then in the in the new testament of course the the uh prologue to john the first chapter of john you know talks about in the beginning was the mm-hmm. word um and it's a very powerful and michael you're way more qualified than i am to talk about this but here we are it's a very powerful concept as i understand both in hebrew and in greek um yep. in greek you talk about the the logos or lo- looks like logos i always say mm-hmm. logos because i'm from wisconsin but um, um yeah it works that's that's the name of a biblical oh. software <laughs> Um, <laughs> but I, yes, very good. Um, but yeah, so, so that, that idea of, you know, words, words creating reality rather than the other way around, um, yep. you know, that, that again hovers over like yet another ghost. There are a lot of ghosts hovering over this novel in many senses of the word. And that's, that's mm-hmm. certainly there, um, you know, and then. And then you even have a question of, so you could have sort of a materialistic or a psychological explanation for why this prophecy comes true. You know, it, it um, sure. sort of, sort of its existence and the, the uh, nature of it drove these folks mad um, or, you know, something to that effect. Uh, the, but then you have part of the background there is like, all of this man's other prophecies seem to come true. And the way that, you know, if right. you were to take it face value and assume that, you know, Benjamin's both telling the truth and his information is correct that he's relating, a lot of those prophecies don't seem to necessarily have a similar materialistic explanation. Some of them just seem to be, you know, completely supernatural mm-hmm. for lack of a, of a better term. And then, of course, that fact, the fact that everyone believes these prophecies believes these stories that reinforces the prophecy mm-hmm. so it it's it's yep. not as quite as self-fulfilling as it might appear at first um there's sure. i think questions about like the prophecy and the prophet giving the prophecy and you know i mean yeah. it all of course goes back to your uh canons of rhetoric right so you have your your uh <laughs> ethos the the credibility of the speaker and then you have the word of course used is uh logos the uh mm-hmm. credibility of the information or the uh, yep. the thing being spoken um and i think in this case mm-hmm. to even to explain it psychologically you have to sort of untangle a skein of of those two things being intertwined um mm-hmm. yeah yeah, so it it raises a lot of questions about, you know, prophecies and prophets and um such things. Yeah, and there there are a lot of interesting features of that too. When uh we we get some of Abulu's backstory, which that's that and the the relation of many of his other prophecies are all related more right. or less second hand, which um is is a place where some doubt right. can be thrown onto it. Um like you know maybe benjamin just didn't get all the accurate information from everyone who has their own biases that they're adding to it um but uh when when you hear his backstory you then it's immediately followed up with some of the prophecies that he's made and have been fulfilled and some of the 
themes of those prophecies are the same as the themes of his backstory. Um, uh, the the one that's probably the the most um, uh, horrific. I don't know. Um, or the most shocking. Like, uh, gruesome not gruesome shocking maybe is like this this prophecy mm-hmm. of incest um which is taken directly right. from his backstory right um so is, is it just that his brain is so broken that he's just repeating all of these things that have broken his brain and right. it's uh and people are horrified by it and making it come true um Again, that self-fulfilling prophecy question. But, like, that's just another aspect where it's thrown into doubt. Or, um, to take another biblical thought to it, is he a prophet like Hosea, whose life was turned into a prophecy? Um, you know, that takes um, that that idea, too. So, it, it's it's really, like, you can, you can take it multiple different ways. Benjamin himself, by... Um, a good chunk of the way through the book anyway uh seems to just take it that yeah. abulu is a prophet and he's I, I think he has the phrase like um when he's filled with the spirit of right. prophecy or something like that and so like um which you could take that as a sort of shorthand like tongue-in-cheek sort of thing when he's in that sort of prophetic mode right heavy air quotes or the way it's phrased seems right. pretty sincere like yeah. he's prophesying which i mean <laughs> you know you have the the aspect here that this is a um this is a child especially at the time of the story uh you know so yeah children are much more apt to just take things on their face like that um mm-hmm. I, I that's i think that's the comment i had yes. I, I felt like i was going somewhere else with it but no and well, and that just kind of ties right into this whole idea of just the craft right. of the book again, that that question of prophecy in in the novel and whether it's true or not, whether hindsight has changed it, whether it's self-fulfilling right. or whether it's true. Um, it Because that's such a question that even that question itself isn't, I don't think, central to the point Sure. of the book but it's an interesting question um sure. that speaks to the craft of the book um yeah i don't know that's that's a lot about the prophecy right. aspect of the book itself. which i mean is a i mean but and s- some of the biblical concepts too which yeah is and it's huge. like and there's a ton of others like i i quoted that that line on page 12 um as like the first yeah. one and still one of the starkest ones that jumped out at me but um i sh- i should have been underlining there were a bunch of places where straight up just phrases either from the bible um or very close to phrases from the bible were uh sort of deployed mm-hmm. you know throughout like we we've been we've been digging into a lot of uh sort of the you know the depth level stuff um you know that like as soon as you start doing that it's like you get into that territory where you have to say like okay well this could be what obioma meant or it could just be 
what occurred to me um mm-hmm. you know like who knows if this book is a reaction to the book of deuteronomy much as i now like that idea um <laughs> but mm-hmm. you know the on on the surface all of that stuff is there and like you know when that stuff is there so obviously yeah. on the surface it to me lends credibility to um to some of that that deeper that deeper layer of uh stuff where we have to go a little bit farther mm-hmm. out on a out on a limb um yeah yeah but i i mean i i i did find a, another example of that on page 171 right up at the top this is um uh ben um wakes up in the middle of the night i can't remember exactly mm. he's oh. he gets sick um anyway and obembe is coming and tending yeah. to him right up at the top of page 171 obembe says take drink yes. and don't be afraid anymore yeah. so i mean there's just very very clear right. biblical illusion right there yeah and, and um, but yeah there those two are some and, and there are some others that are just like not even trying to be subtle yeah. not even in a in any way are they are they trying no. to be subtle no um Mm-mm. The, yeah, the only way it could be more explicit is if he put the right. chapter and verse in parentheses. <laughs> <Putting there. it. laughs> um, I'm sure. I'm sure there will be yeah, a you know, right. Penguin Classics edition of this novel at some point with all of the all of the verses footnoted. Yep, all the references. Um, yep, yep. Heck, I could have <laughs> tried doing that. I thought about trying to do that part way through, but then I was like, ah, I haven't this far. I won't be right. consistent the rest of the way. If I reread it, maybe I'll do that. But uh yeah. Yeah. Well, um we're we're kind of nearing the end of our hour here. Do you have any um other thoughts that you want to squeeze in before we close out here and save the rest for I guess, uh, another I guess I did hour. want to just ask sort of a teasing question to uh leave everyone with. Yes. Um so, mm-hmm. unless you have anything else you were going to say particularly, uh, I can do that. And, and it is a, it's, oh, it's it. a question, it's an hour question all by itself, potentially. Um, but the sure. question is, are we all just animals? <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, that's 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 one that I wanted to to touch on a little bit too, and I think that expands yes, in a lot of different directions. Um, so that'll be that'll be fun. I I I might want to start. No, now we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're you're the you're the leader for this one, so you know we can uh, take up that question whenever you like, but. It's the one thing I just wanted mainly to get it on the record um, to, you know, mm-hmm. force us to fulfill the prophecy that we will now talk mm-hmm. about that question at yes. some point. Mm-hmm. Yes, you've uh, you've put that one out there now. So let's see. See, I can I can do it, too. You can, too. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, gentle listener, this has been uh, our first hour of discussion of The Fisherman by Chigozi Obioma. Uh, so come back in a couple weeks when we finish this discussion. Uh, in the meantime, you can t- contact us uh, on tapestryradio.org. Uh, go to the contact section and put Scotch Talk in the subject line. Or on Twitter, you can find us at Room with Scotch. On Facebook, you can request to join the Tapestry Radio ha- uh, Tap House, and uh, we will let you in uh, unless you are a prophesying madman. 
Um, we also will do homework. If you go to tapestryradio.org slash scotchcast and fill in the form at the top of the page, uh, that submits a homework assignment to us for uh, specifically English homework. I don't know if we've ever said that explicitly, but English homework, you know, literature homework. I mean... We wouldn't um, understand any other homework, probably. Probably so, like, not. I mean, you could submit a physics problem and like look at it. We could do like a postmodern deconstruction. Yeah, there you it. go. Um, ask us to find X. We'll point to it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that's that's what we'll do. We'll uh, we'll do some homework for you if you uh, if you want us to. Um, and you can turn that in and go to plagiarism jail. Um, you can also find other shows on the Tapestry Radio Network, like Intermission, our backstage drama podcast, Us Play Fiasco, the actual play uh, RPG Fiasco improv podcast, Freddy Goes to a Podcast, where three grown men talk about the children's book series, Freddy the Pig, and Pokemon Rollout, the Pokemon Tabletop United actual play RPG podcast. Ethan, where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Bjartlett. That's at B-J-A-R-T-L-E-T-T. Uh, I think that's pretty much all I have going right at the moment. Very good. And I am on Twitter at M-G-L-I-L-I-E-N-T-H-A-L. And until next time, just remember, it's our party and we'll cry if we're convicted of murder. Probably. 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 Depends on whether he deserved it or not. That's true. I might cry anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's the human thing to do. But maybe we're animals. Mm. Bye! Obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. listener. Obviated objects of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From From our our fancy fancy to to yours. yours.